0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the 17th episode of Season 8 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Uh, Before we dig into the social media this week, there's a couple of key things that have happened since the last episode. The first being the surprise appearance of three of the Heartbreakers at Farm Aid in support of Bob Dylan's surprise three-song set. Um, It's been a small bone of contention among some fans, including some of my listeners, that Mike Campbell and the Dirty Knobs aren't being mentioned in this conversation enough. Of course, Dylan's backing band was the Dirty Knobs, of which Steve Ferroni is once again a member for this tour at least. Uh, Mike, along with Steve and fellow Knobs Lance Morrison and Chris Holt. They were joined, of course, by Ben Montent in what is a real throwback reunion for him and Mike. The Heartbreakers famously backed Dylan on 1986's True Confessions Tour, so to have them both back on stage with Steve behind the kit must have been pretty special. They played Maggie's Farm, Positively 4th Street, and a track from my favourite Dylan album, Highway 61 Revisited, the sombre Ballad of a Thin Man. The appearance was shrouded in secrecy with no fanfare and no notice. The stage apparently went dark, and when the lights came up, there was Bob, backed by the Dirty Nobs and Benmont. I can only imagine how excited all the Petty Heads and knob Mob members in attendance must have been. Of course, the Dirty Knobs did have to cancel a show um, to fulfil this commitment, and I'm sure they'll make it up at a later date. The other news, of course, is that this past Monday, as I record, marks the 6th anniversary of Tom's last live performance at the Hollywood Ball on September 25th, 2017. It's still shocking to remember that he was gone only a week afterwards and that the people who left that auditorium that night, including the band and Tom's friends and family, had no idea of the significance of the event. So over on Facebook and Twitter, I forgot to put the poll up again because apparently I have the memory of homeopathic vinegar. But there were still a few comments. Um, On Twitter, Sean Greeley commented about the line, I've slept in your treehouse, my middle name is Earl, from A Mind With It's Own, saying, that lyric might be more recognisable than the song title to some petty fans. And then he appended the hashtag Hurricane Business, which I think I might have to make into a T-design. On Facebook, Laura Jean also quotes, my middle name is Earl, and Bob Reedy commented, great song. Tom obviously had a great sense of humor and often showed it in his songs. He also has a cool imagination and created great stories and characters. The title is a clever concept. My pal Paul Roberts, who's also my quality control chief and really should be on the payroll, said, "Um, good song, but not Tom's best, 8 out of 10. A reflection of the quality on this album, not the worst. And then in brackets, the birds cover on the album. Uh, spoiler alert: I'm in a small minority who loves Zombie Zoo. Well, Paul, I'm not going to show my hand too fully, but I think we're going to be slightly apart on this one. Um, lastly, I got a nice comment on YouTube um, from Jess Kaufman, who says uh, you were at the top of your game on this one. Fantastic insights into the Bo Diddley groove, George Michael, Dylan's lyrical whimsy. I learned quite a bit, and I appreciate the song more. Hilarious, still laughing from your third verse discussion. Proud of his lame travel experiences, and of course his middle name. There are so many ways Tom manages to stay in my head. The Earl line rattled around in there for so long in 1990. So did the Maria Yuppie and she loves horses. Uh, minds just cling to strange, standout things, and I guess have a heart of their own. So thanks for that, Jess. I I don't get a ton of um, comments, sort of you know, quickly on YouTube. So I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you listening to the podcast, and I'm glad that you enjoy it. But that's enough social media for now. Today's episode covers the last track from side two of Full Moon Fever, the, I think I'm okay calling it polarizing zombie zoo. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I don't play the song or clips from the song in the episode itself in order to avoid things like copyright issues or getting on the wrong side of the petty estate. But if you want to give the song a listen before we dig into it, there's a link in the episode notes, and I promise it's the right one this week, Paul. In conversations with Tom Petty, when author Paul Zolo asks about the origins of the song, Tom explains, It was when Jeff and George, so that's Jeff Lynne and George Harrison, obviously, uh, went out to Anaheim to ask Roy Orbison to be in the band. That's the Travelling Wilburys, again, obviously. We were writing everything we saw. One line I remember that we saw on a billboard was, Every day is Judgment Day. That later turned up in End of the Line, the Wilburys song. He goes on to explain, We stopped at a restaurant on the way back, and these punky-looking guys recognized us and came over. I said, where have you been? Where are you playing? And they said, the Zombie Zoo. And out came the pads. In Warren Zane's biography, Petty, George Harrison's wife, Olivia, expands on this and says, We all went to Denny's on Sunset that night after the Roy Orbison show. There were some goths hanging out, and it was all we could do to keep George from jumping in that car with them. They looked like they were having fun. And that's where Zombie Zoo came from. It was an amazing time, everything happening all at once. And she finishes by saying, George always missed that element, I think, of a band a group dynamic, whether he would admit it or not. Tom was famously a little indifferent about the album closer and says to Paul Zolo, it's a very light-hearted song, nonsense really. There's no great statement. It was just for the fun of it. I kind of wondered about Zombie Zoo, really. I don't think I would have had it on uh, if Jeff hadn't really campaigned for it. I would have cut it out, but there it is. I was talking to my co-host John Paulson today about this and mentioned that possibly the reason Jeff campaigned for the song so strongly is because it featured you know, Tom and and Jeff's friend Roy Orbison, who had obviously very recently passed away. Or it could be that it appealed to Jeff Lynne's wit and sense of fun. Either way, it was eventually selected as the 12th and final track on the album, and I think it's safe to say that Tom's seeming dismissal of the track gives license to those petty heads who don't like it to be more vocal than they maybe would be about other tracks that don't resonate with them. The song itself starts with an almost novelty Halloween track feel to it. A very dramatic A minor F progression is augmented by a sinister, high-pitched, squealing guitar or synth. I can't quite tell what the heck that is, but I suspect it's a synth out of some, some variety. We get an uncharacteristic three bars of intro here, rather than a, you know either two or four, and the first verse comes straight in. The song is in A major, so you get that minor to major key change that we've seen in a couple of other places on this side of the album so far. And hey, when something works, use it as much as you can. So that last lead-in change is A minor to F, and then to A major. The chord progression in this verse is really simple. First, fifth, minus second, fifth, first, fifth, minus second, fourth. It's as well-worn a rock and roll structure as you're going to hear, and it's bright and breezy with a great tempo to it. I also suspect that the triggered drums are back here. The hat definitely sounds programmed, and the kick drum sounds it sounds like a sample to me. The drum pattern is a razor-straight backbeat with the kick on the ones and threes, and the snare on the twos and fours. And there's a fairly roomy reverb on the snare, and I'm not sure whether that's even a real snare or a triggered sample. I should explain, too, what I mean by triggered. Uh, there are two ways of putting, well, two main ways of putting together an electronic drum track. You can straight up program it into a drum machine, or these days your computer, and basically you just drag and drop the notes wherever you want them and repeat them as many times as you like and loop them, adjust the velocity or the volume, how hard you hit the drums, and you come out the other end with drum tracks you'll have heard on everything from Genesis to Prince to Harold Faltermeyer. The other way is to have the drummer play an electronic kit live and then use that performance to trigger the drum sounds you want. You can also, these days, I'm not sure you could in 1987-88, add triggers to a real kit so that the drummer has more feel while recording the performance, but then you still are able to use the sampled uh, sounds in the, in the recording. I suspect that in the case of this album, it was a blend of programmed hats and the kick snare being played on drum pads such as a Simmons or a Roland or something like that. And as with pretty much every song on this album, this track is densely layered with guitars. We have that palm-muted guitar on the left channel playing the eighth notes along with the bass guitar just chugging along. Uh, And we also have an electric or possibly an electric acoustic strumming the chords. And then in the second half of the verse, we hear a third guitar playing some some crunchy stabs. Now, that could be the palm-muted guitar also playing those parts, but given Jeff Lynn's preference for assembling guitar parts in the way that he does, I'd be willing to bet a decent sum that it's just another overdub. The other thing you hear come in in the second half of the verse is a piano, playing either single or, I think, octave bass notes to really punch that bottom end home. The song transitions into the chorus with absolutely zero fanfare. The drum pattern changes to a four-on-the-floor kick, by that I mean, of course, played on every beat in the bar, one, two, three, four, uh, with that George of the Jungle syncopated floor-tom rhythm. And I always call that dum-da-da-dum-da-da. I always call that sort of groove George of the Jungle because that's how Jack Black describes it in School of Rock and damn if it isn't completely descriptive. Give me like a... Like a... Good. Okay, no, that's bad. That's like George of the Jungle played up here on the cymbal, but really light! Oh, that's it! Okay, keep going with that, Zach! The chorus also sees those harmonies, including the voice of Roy Orbison. Um, I had to look back to check if there's a female vocalist credited on this one, because those high falsettos don't sound a ton like Tom or Roy Orbison, so I'm left to assume that they're maybe Jeff Lynne. And again, the are multi-tracked to give that big choral effect that fills out the upper registers in this section of the song. Another addition to this B section of the track is the synth stabs after each zoo at the end of the line. And after the lyric, All You Wanna Do, there's a nice crunchy little descending guitar lick that has to be Mike Campbell. But sonically, the chorus is just this big wall of sound that's broken by a single snare hit to bring us back out and into the second verse. And I always think I'd have preferred a flam on the snare there rather than a single stick note. Um, I think I've talked about flams on a previous episode, but in case I haven't, or in case you've forgotten, it's when you hit a drum with both sticks at almost but not quite the same time. And I think it always sounds great if you're doing that single note transition into a different section. The sound of that snare here also makes me question again whether this is a real drum or a sample. It kind of sounds like the way sample snares could sound back then, but it could just be the reverb that Jeff Lynne's has added to it that's throwing me off, so I'm not too sure. Anyway, that single snare hit leads us into the second verse, where we now have some three- or four-part harmony shah las coming in, and as if the boys aren't throwing enough paint at the canvas here, I think there's also a lone organ chord on the word mother at about 44 seconds. We also get the immortal line, sometimes you're so impulsive, you shaved off all your hair, you look like Boris Karloff, and you don't even care in this verse. And it's easy to see why Tom described this song as light-hearted nonsense, because, to the best of my knowledge, Boris Karloff was not particularly well-known as being bald, even in his most famous role as Frankenstein's monster. Through this line, there's also a howl in the background that I believe is provided by Mike Campbell's daughter, Kelsey. Just imagine your dad coming up from the garage where he's hanging out jamming with his friends and asking you to swing by and howl into a mic. How much fun would that be? In the second chorus, there's some more synth or maybe organ being added to complement the rhythm guitars, but otherwise it's just, again, a a copy of the first chorus, as we've come to expect structurally on most of this record. The transition into the bridge is again unpunctuated by a drum fill or a two-bar preamble or any sort of build. We just go straight into She Disappears at Sunrise after that single snare hit that brought us into the second verse. And here we get a flip again in the drum pattern, which is really providing most of the movement in this song. So rather than the kick drum alone playing a four on the floor pattern, now it's the snare two, with the kick coming off the beat at the end of each phrase. We then go to the minus sixth, where we get those big jungle toms again, brought further up in the mix here, and then the Beatlesiest harmonies you're going to hear on a Heartbreakers record. The harmonies in this section remind me a lot of the Beatles for Sale album on songs like Mr. Moonlight or I Don't Want to Spoil the Party. You came to me once on night. And there's also an almost Buddy Holly-esque quality to that minor key descending vocal line that Tom leads. In the major key section, we have those harmony vocals rhythmically stabbing away in the quarter notes to again give the song a very, very 60s feel. All right, folks, it's time for some petty trivia. Your question from last week was this. Who is the only member of the Travelling Wilburys who does not appear on Full Moon Fever? And you should have been able to rule out one of them pretty much straight away, right? So, was it A, Jeff Lynne? B, Roy Orbison? C, George Harrison? Or D, Bob Dylan? Well, I've said Jeff Lynne's name in every episode of this season, so I'm assuming you spotted that he's not the answer. George Harrison appears on I Won't Back Down, of course lending his voice and acoustic guitar to the song. So it's between Roy Orbison and Bob Dylan. And the answer is... D, Bob Dylan. Roy Orbison, of course, provides backing vocals on today's song, Zombie Zoo. But after the Wilburys recording sessions and album release, Bob went straight back out on tour. So the chances are he just wasn't around at the time that Tom's uh, debut solo record was being recorded. Your question for this week is this. Which is the last song from Full Moon Fever that Tom played live as the main set closer at the Hollywood Bowl on September 25th, 2017? Was it A, running down a dream? B, free falling? C, you're so bad? Or D, I won't back down? Okay, back to the song. The bridge leads back into the chorus with, again, no transition phase. It just plows straight ahead. And at just shy of a minute and a half, we've had the intro, two verse-chorus pairs, in the bridge. It's almost as if the challenge on side two of Full Moon Fever was to write songs with as little fat in them as possible, and holy moly did they pull that off. For the most part, this one is really simply structured, and to this point, we haven't heard anything that breaks up the standard structure of the song, but don't worry. Tom, Mike, and Jeff have a little bit of shtick up their sleeve. Rather than a full chorus here after the bridge, we only get the back half of it, which leads into a two-bar zombie moan. That's right, That's how I'm describing it. The drums fall away and the vocals sound like they're being slowed down. Like it's almost like the tape's being slowed down to get that drag effect that you hear. Sonically, it's only the second time after the intro that the music feels like it matches the tone of the word zombie. And this section leads us into the third chorus where the backing vocals are a little higher in the mix. You can hear the additional percussion here too, as it's it's been there throughout. Um possibly Maracas or a Shaker. They're just, again, just a little bit more prominent here. And you'd be forgiven for thinking we're heading into a chorus repeat fade out now. But instead, we get a repeat of the bridge. At the end of that first pass, the night, we get a brilliantly discordant suspended chord. I think it's an F sharp minor ninth for the nerds out there. But I could be grossly, grossly wrong on that because I'm not a music expert. I'm just a very keen amateur. Now we do head into what you think is going to be a chorus to fade. But instead, we get another pass through this section with the kick drum really stomping those beats. Tom repeats Dancing at the Zombies You twice before the song ends sharply on the three counts of that last bar with a hard stop. Not a bad way to finish the last song on an album. Tom's vocal in this one is it's sort of in that halfway space between his what I call his natural voice and his tight throat delivery. He leans into the latter here and there, but he never really fully lets rip at any point. And as we said at the top, the lyrics in this one are really not to be taken to mean anything at all. Inspired by, you know, punk, goth Californians, it almost has the quality of a fever dream that someone woke up from and wrote down. It's not a lyric I dislike, but it's also not one I'd ever hold up to people as a shining example of Tom at his lyrically dexterous best. And there's something about this song that doesn't quite seem to fit for me. I think it's the one song on this album that feels like it's tipped over into being more of a Jeff Lynne song than a Tom Petty song, just in the way it sort of moves and sounds. Yes, there are a few little turns here and there with Mike's little guitar licks, but it feels way closer to ELO. Jeff Lynn's band, then it does the heartbreakers for me. And maybe that's where some of Tom's uncertainty about it came from. The song was, unsurprisingly, never played live. And I did a little bit of digging around and found out that the zombie zoo was actually a Los Angeles nightclub, or rather, a scene that moved around various locations, including a place called Oscars Cave. And according to a website I found that is now selling original zombie zoo tees, was the progenitor of too many stories to be told that really shouldn't be on the internet and attended by hundreds of creepy people host to many of LA's darker bands. Okay, Pettyheads, that's it for this week. It's been a bit of a longer episode than I expected digging into this song. Um, And look, I know this one divides the room, so I'm not going to beat around the bush. For me, Zombie Zoo is a 5 out of 10. It's just a bit of harmless fluff that pads out the album, and there's nothing quote-unquote wrong with it, but it's just a very average throwaway song. As I've discovered from this deep dive, it certainly has some depth to the arrangement and the assembly, as well as a couple of nice little brief left turns, but overall, it it just doesn't move me in any real way. It's more interesting than Mary's new car, but it kind of lands in the same sort of space for me, and when John and I do the album rap episode, I'm going to be curious uh, as to whether he keeps this song on the album or jettisons it in favour of one of the outtakes, perhaps. The Tom Petty Project is a pro member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Go check him out on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet. I'm sure you'll find something there that you like. You can also check out my other podcasts, Seaside Pod Review, a queen podcast that I do with my best friend Randy, who performs all the music you hear in this podcast, Uh, and the Ultimate Catalog Clash that I co-host with the hardest working man in podcasting. Seriously, just a straight-up awesome guy and just a a work ethic like you just would not believe, uh, Corey Morissette. Uh, Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. Uh, and on YouTube as well, at The Tom Petty Project, and on Twitter, at Tom Petty Project, so no the on Twitter. Go follow, like, subscribe as applicable, and please leave a review or a rating if you haven't had a chance so far. Um, Keep talking to me on social media, and I'll keep reading out your comments on the show. I'll definitely remember to get my uh, poll up this, this week. As a final reminder, The Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way, and when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit official streaming platforms, or better yet, go to your independent local uh, record seller and go grab some physical media CDs, Vinyl, get back into vinyl, folks. You know, I mean, for the cost and inconvenience alone, it's worth it. If you're looking for official merchandise, please go to tompetty.com. Don't buy knockoff stuff. And if you're looking for merch for this show, please go to Tompettyproject.com. There is now a Zombie Zoo T-shirt on the website. Uh, don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook. They're uh, excellent fan communities, and well worth spending a little bit of time in. So until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week with the next installment of The Petty 8. Bye-bye.